Greetings listeners, Jonathan Harding here for Culture Club. Today I've got a review for you. No, it's not Mulan, which I've now seen, but I'm still mulling it over and trying to piece together my thoughts on it. That's going to take a while. If you're looking for that one, sorry, it's not here today. So, uh, Blood of Zeus. <laughs> when Netflix announced a year ago or so that they'd be creating a show based on Greek mythology, the internet went a little crazy as thus far the only love Greek mythology had seen from Hollywood came in the form of the 2010 Clash of the Titans remake and its sequel, Wrath of the Titans, released in 2012. Both were enjoyable, but heavily flawed. Outside of that, we got two Percy Jackson movies, which were terrible. Speaking of, Disney Plus is in the early stages of producing a Percy Jackson series, which, unlike the movies, will have the series creator Rick Riordan heavily involved. Uh... I believe he is a showrunner, so he'll have a lot of say in what happens. Anywho, but there is a catch, or there was a catch, rather, to Blood of Zeus. We didn't know what it was going to be, or what it would be about. We didn't know if it would be a fantasy series or a documentary. We didn't know if it was going to cover any particular myth. We just knew it was going to exist. Well, now that it's out, or at least has been for about a month, we know that it's an animated series, a fantasy one. Now, before you go thinking that it's safe to show this to your kids because it's animated, let me remind you, this is Greek mythology we're talking about. It's not exactly something that can be kiddie-proofed. The show includes little to no nudity that I can recall, but it is brutal. Very brutal. Brutal. What's that? Blood of Zeus isn't afraid to show blood and guts from time to time. Many animated shows these days are directed at adults, but this is usually in the humour department, where The Simpsons, Family Guy, and South Park take aim at politics, current events, and bathroom humour. Many newer anime-like series put their age restrictions to use in other areas, dealing in mature themes, often with a little violence thrown in. And to be honest, even older anime, like 80s and 90s, Jeez, hyperviolence was a thing. Um, <laughs> that said, there are only two good things about this show. The first is the voice acting, which is stellar, and we'll get to in a moment. And the second is the animation, done by Powerhouse Animation Studios, the same company behind Netflix's Castlevania. Now, the animation isn't just good. In true Powerhouse fashion, it's amazing. The art style is occasionally reminiscent of Castlevania, but there are enough differences in the character designs to set them apart. Combat choreography was... okay. It's not much better than anything we've seen before, but it's good-ish. Um, <laughs> look, it's not bad. It's actually... It, it's good. It's just not as good as people were expecting, especially from fans of Powerhouse. Anyway. So a moment ago I mentioned the voice acting. Again, it's good, but it's faced with a problem. Lackluster writing. The dialogue was never really that great, and it doesn't actually help to flesh out any of the characters. In essence, the show has four lead roles and two interlinked storylines, which remain separate for much of the first half of the show. But none of the characters actually get enough dialogue for us to really learn who they are and what motivates them. Of the show's cast of Eleven, only three characters are likeable. Those three are side characters. They get almost no screen time to themselves. Also, Heron, the show's protagonist, is the biggest idiot ever. 
Goodness, he's an idiot. He's also extremely unlikable. I did not like him. Popular voice actor Matthew Mercer plays Hermes, but he gets maybe five to ten minutes of screen time and less dialogue. <laughs> he's there. He's a great voice actor. If you're familiar with his work, you would know. It's fantastic. Just, yeah, he didn't get much time here. The show's biggest problem is its story, which I'm not going to spoil, though I will say there is a post credit scene at the end of the final episode that does hint at a second season. At the very beginning of the first episode, we're told that many myths were lost to time. This makes sense. And that the show's story is one of those lost myths. This would also make sense, if only the show didn't butcher its source material so much. To the layperson, what the show presents will do just perfectly, but to a fan of Greek mythology, it feels as if the writers selected a bunch of myths, cut them up, and then mashed the pieces together. Heron's name is derived straight from that of Heracles, the Greek name for Hercules. And, as with many Greek heroes, he is a child of Zeus. Cool. Makes sense so far. The story of his birth and childhood, however, is a mishmash of the myths of Heracles and Perseus. Only Heron doesn't have Perseus's wits and skills, and he lacks Heracles' strength. In fact, he lacks all the redeeming qualities of either of those guys. <laughs> Many other aspects of the story are similar in that respect. Characters and ideas from one myth are ripped out of their original context and unceremoniously shoved into another. If you're going to give this show a watch, for all the flack I've given it, at the very least it is an enjoyable series. Just don't expect much in the way of character development, or a plot that actually goes anywhere outside of a fight with a bunch of monsters at the end. Like, yeah, I, I don't know what the writers were thinking or doing. I would have loved to be a fly on the wall in that writing room. But hey, it exists. It's okay. It's fun. It's just not actually good once you give it a second glance. <laughs> That's that for today. I hope you enjoyed. Uh, Jonathan Harding signing off for this week on Culture Club. Cheers.